Welcome to the Climate Report on Forward Radio, WFMP 106.5 FM, Louisville. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 214. Today's topic is Bernie Sanders' Green New Deal, Part 16. The Climate Report is a daily radio show and podcast that asks the question, WTF, who's running the world and why do they want to ruin it for the rest of us, including their own children? It's madness, it's insanity, and it's stupidity. Why is this happening? So we ask that question and we answer that question and we go from there. The Climate Report is a thorough examination of how to solve the problem of climate change and related ecological catastrophes such as the mass extinction of species that we're experiencing. The Climate Report is also your definitive source for information and analysis related to the Green New Deal. If you have any questions about the Green New Deal, email info at theclimatereport.net. And on the Climate Report, we question everything we've ever been taught about American politics. We question everything we've ever been taught about American economics. And we question everything we have ever been taught about American culture. We must question everything. We must rethink everything because the future of our species depends on it quite literally. The views expressed here are those of the speaker and no one else. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, please email info at theclimatereport.net. Now let's continue with Bernie Sanders' Green New Deal. So brief history of the Green New Deal. Green New Deal was originally promulgated by the uh, Green Party, which has its own version of the Green New Deal. They came out with that in 2008. Then Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez introduced a bill into Congress, which was a resolution that says, here is a Green New Deal. And that happened in 2019. Also in early 2019, the Democratic Socialists of America came out with their seven eco-socialist principles which should govern the Green New Deal. And now Bernie Sanders has his version of the Green New Deal. Now, to Bernie's credit, when he's asked about what is the greatest threat, what's the greatest national security threat to the United States, he doesn't say Russia or China or Iran or any of that crap. He says the greatest national security threat to the United States is climate change. And so he comes out with a Green New Deal. And now we know what he's talking about because it's about 50 pages. It's 13,000 words, approximately 50, 50, approximately 50 pages. And now we know what he's talking about because in 50 pages, you can at least give a broad outline of what the Green New Deal looks like when Bernie Sanders talks about it. So we're reading through Bernie Sanders' Green New Deal, 
and it talks about you get to a certain point in in my handy dandy numbered version of Bernie Sanders Green New Deal he's talking about uh, resilience and justice in other words this is the part where this is not the part of the Green New Deal where we're talking about preventing climate change or limiting climate change this is the part where we're talking about adapting to the effects of climate change and as part of that he says here we're going well let's uh, just briefly enumerate what we've talked about so far under the heading of resilience and justice we've talked about creating a climate justice resiliency fund we've talked about rebuilding america's crumbling infrastructure including the nation's water systems we've talked about uh rebuilding the building resilient affordable publicly owned broadband infrastructure we've talked about increasing funding for roads we've talked about repairing freight and passenger transportation networks i assume that means train it just does not use the word train anywhere in that paragraph um I would like to see much, much more. See, one of my main criticisms of Bernie Sanders' Green New Deal is that there's not enough emphasis on trains and there's too much emphasis on electric cars and roads. We need to do some electric cars. We need to make it easy for people to get electric cars. We don't need to replace all of our internal combustion engine cars with electric cars because that would mean you would have to manufacture 280 million electric cars because we have approximately 280 million gas-powered cars on the road, we do not want to replace all those with electric cars. We want to get away from automobiles for a number of reasons. But nonetheless, Bernie says, you know, has this item in the Resilience and Justice Fund, or uh, the Resilience and Justice part of the Green New Deal, where he talks about referring repairing freight and passenger transportation networks. He also talks about building 7.4 million affordable housing units to close the affordable housing gap across the country and guarantee safe, decent, accessible, affordable housing. He talks about retrofitting our public infrastructure to withstand climate impacts, and he's talking about uh, adapting to sea level rise. That brings us to the where we left off last time. So we're going to adapt to sea level rise. And it says here, 40% of the U.S., over 126 million Americans live on the coast. 40% of Americans live on the coast. Because such a high percentage of the American people live on the coast, coastal resiliency deserves special attention. We will provide coastal communities with $162 billion in funding to adapt to sea level rise. So sea level rise is the kind of thing that who knows how much sea level rise is going to occur and when. But even if the ocean is, is like has an inch more water on top of it, you might be surprised to find out how much more water that is when it comes to a hurricane, you know, all that water being pushed in through a, a tsunami or, a, or just the winds from a hurricane. But the coasts are, I mean, the sea level is expected to go up a great deal. 
who knows how much. I don't pretend to be an expert on that, but if the uh, if the ice sheets of Greenland and the West Antarctic break off and fall into the ocean, then we're talking about a sea level rise of about 20 or 25 feet, which, of course, is catastrophic. So you're talking about mass migration. Um, and, and the ice sheets of Greenland and West Antarctic could fall off within the next 50 years, or sooner. Well, we don't know how soon these things are going to be. So that's a whole other issue. Some of these climate issues are becoming an issue much quicker than we thought. Climate change is accelerating. Climate change is not progressing at a linear rate. Climate change is accelerating. So we need to get our heads out of the sand, if not out of somewhere else. And we, meaning, this is not your fault, it's not my fault. It's the fault of the people that have been in control for a very long time, and they need to be kicked off of their throne. I could say they need to be kicked out of office, but it's not politicians that are in charge. It is the... um, it's the oligarchs. It's the the really, 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 really rich people. It's the fossil fuel companies. It's whoever owns who the people who collectively own a controlling interest in the Fortune 500 companies. Those are the people who are in charge, and they have lost all their legitimacy. They're in charge because they bought our government. They're in charge because. They control the corporations, which are in many respects more powerful than our government, especially our state and local governments. They're powerful because they control the media. Therefore, they control the information that we get. Even if you have alternative sources of information, most people's media, most people's information that they get still comes from the mainstream. And even social media like Facebook and Google, these are big corporations and they have some of the same uh, editorial policies that the cable news has meaning you're not going to get very much information that poses a serious threat to the power structure. You're not going to get very much information that is a serious critique of the big corporations. Next paragraph says, We will increase funding for firefighting to deal with more frequent and severe wildfires. So, Why wouldn't the government be very generous when it comes to things like FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Agency? So, you know, is the purpose of government to provide for the needs of regular people, or is the purpose of government to enrich the very rich? If the purpose of government is to enrich the very rich, then defund FEMA. Defund emergency management. Make it seem like government is incompetent so that then uh, these corporations can come in and pretend to do the work and get lots and lots of money for doing virtually nothing. If you want to know how that works, I recommend reading uh, Shock Doctrine by Naomi Klein. Shock Doctrine by Naomi Klein describes how government contractors come in and and pretend to do, to do the work of FEMA 
or pretend to do the work of the military, pretend to do the work of emergency management. And there are some of the most horrible, deplorable stories about doing nothing and getting paid a lot of money to do nothing. So what we need to do instead is to fully and adequately fund government services. And the way we can do that is stop bailing out the banks and stop uh, you know, raising the military budget. This past year, the military budget was raised by $80, million, $80 billion without a debate. Go Democrats for, letting, for giving Trump $80 billion more without a debate. Why did you do that, Nancy Pelosi? Why did you do that, Chuck Schumer? Why did you do that, John Yarmuth? Why are you giving uh, more and more and more and more, more and more, more and more money to defense, which is not about defense, it's about offense. It's about going all over the world, beating up on every little defenseless country because we're the strongest, the biggest, and the meanest. And doesn't have, you know, the Pentagon doesn't have a legitimate purpose today. It needs to be shrunk by 90% because, for one thing, that's where we're spending all of our money. We're spending too much money on something that is essentially destructive. We need to instead spend our money on life-affirming activities, including competent, capable emergency management. And that's what we're talking about here. So let's read this paragraph. In order to be able to quickly and effectively respond to wildfires, we will expand the Wildfire Restoration and Disaster Preparedness Workforce. We will increase funding for firefighting by $18 billion for federal firefighters to deal with the increased severity and frequency of wildfires. So, if you didn't know, this past year, California had a record wildfire. We think, you know, scientists believe it. It's hard to. It's sometimes it's hard to attribute specific damage to climate change. But generally speaking, what one would expect is that as climate change progresses, then we have hotter heat waves, drier droughts, longer droughts. Therefore, more forest fires and bigger forest fires, longer forest fires. So, as one might expect, California had it, it had its biggest wildfire ever. Ninety people died. Ninety people are no longer living because of a wildfire that was, you know, it was negligently, the sources that I've heard say that PG&E, Pacific Gas and Electric, had something to do with the origin of that uh, wildfire. So Bernie is saying here that we are going to increase funding for fighting wildfires. What could be more sensible? Besides, when government spends money, they don't just bury it in the sand. They don't just throw it in the ocean. Conservatives and, and libertarians talk like when government gets uh, money, it just goes away. It evaporates. It doesn't evaporate. It gets put to work. It should be put to work well. It should be spent well. But that, but you know, fighting fire, fi fighting fires. Some people think that fighting fires is a valid, worthy, and legitimate purpose of government. How did we ever get the idea otherwise? 
How did we ever get the idea that we want to do in the richest country in world history, we don't want to fully fund emergency management so we can do a capable job of fighting fires? How did we get that idea? Well, we got it from the corporate media and from the, uh, and from the make-believe media that's always trying to portray government as incompetent. But government can be plenty capable enough what are we going to do, pay for the CIA to go destroy every little defenseless country? Or are we going to take that same money and put it into emergency management? I vote for emergency management. It says here, because we have already seen deaths related to the increased severity and intensity of wildfires, we must facilitate community evacuation plans. Who else is going to do community evacuation plans but government? Okay, uh, we're going to faci- we must facilitate community evacuation plans that include people experiencing homelessness and increase social and we're going to increase social cohesion for rapid and resilient recovery from climate impacts to avoid the use of martial law and increased policing in disaster response. What could be more humane and what could be more sensible than what we're talking about here? So when disasters come, are you going to have a resilient, uh, resilient community? When disasters come, are you going to have community cohesion? Or are you going to have everybody that, are you going to have in a complete absence of government intervention, in a complete absence of government control, in complete absence of government support, people are just, uh, they, they do nothing but concern, uh, they do nothing but consume corporate services and corporate products and corporate experiences and corporate entertainment. In the absence of government intervention, people are just going to be isolated from one another because they have been so thoroughly seduced and consumed by corporate products, corporate experiences, corporate services. We need government to uh, cultivate help cultivate our collective, our civic life. We need civic life. So as part of that, it says we must facilitate community evacuation plans that include people experiencing homelessness and increase social cohesion for rapid and resilient recovery from climate impacts and avoid the use of martial law and increased policing. So what the you know, what the uh, people like Trump and people like Nancy Pelosi and people like Obama and people like Bill Clinton and people like Hillary Clinton, what they want to do when there's a disaster is just, we're going to have martial law and we're going to bring police in. And we have this program whereby the Pentagon gives military equipment to police, local police forces, as if, as if, uh, as if local Police forces need SWAT teams and stuff like that. This increased militarization of the police is just stupid, and we don't have to tolerate it, but that's what you have in the absence of capable, competent, efficient emergency management, which is a function of government, not a function of corporations, and it's not something that can be abandoned. Next, it says we're going to uh, 
you know, protect. Now, now what the, the general heading that we are under here is uh, we're, we're talking about resilience and justice. We're talking about adapting to the effects of climate change. So as part of that, we're going, it says here, we're going to protect community cohesion. It says, after Hurricane Katrina, 24% of New Orleans residents, many of them low-income families and people of color, evacuated the city and were never able to return. Now, some elements of our culture will say, well, good riddance, it's their problem. But that's not what we're going to do if we survive. In order to survive as a species, we have to organize ourselves to be a great deal more humane than what we have seen in recent years. We're going to have to be a great deal more humane than what we saw in the emergency response to Hurricane Katrina. So it says, uh, you know, it talks about the people that were never able to return to New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina. It also says the same thing is still happening in Puerto Rico today as almost 130,000 people have been forced to leave the island because the federal government has failed to distribute all the disaster aid approved by Congress. So federal government asleep at the wheel. We, we hear a lot about how Iran is a threat to the United States. That's to divert attention from what really needs to be done. Now, is bombing Iran an essential function of government? I would think not. Uh, what is an essential function of government is emergency management and efficient emergency relief. And there are going to be an increasing number of emergencies going forward because that's what climate change does. So it says here that the federal government has failed to, to distribute all the disaster aid that was approved by Congress. This is not something that happens because government is inherently inept. It is something that happens because uh, the wrong elements of government are allowed to take over. There are certain elements of government that are good, and there are certain elements of government that are bad. Right now, John Yarmouth and, uh, and Rand Paul and Mitch McConnell are all directing funds to the wrong elements of government. These are people who have voted without a debate to increase the amount of funding that goes to an already bloated and unaccountable Pentagon. That needs to change. So it says here, our disaster response should ensure that to the extent possible, families are able to return to their home communities. Imagine that. Imagine that. A government orchestrating uh, the return of families to their home communities. Imagine that. Instead, what we have is the corporate media uh, making us focus on how Iran is a threat to us and Venezuela is a threat to us and, oh, Nicolas Maduro is a bad guy uh, and Assad, uh, Bashar al-Assad in Syria is a bad guy. What about our own people in the United States, President, Congress, who are doing bad things uh, and not helping the people of the United States. Why is that? Because we have an out-of-control government that is controlled by rich people instead of being controlled by the people that needs to change. 
So when there is a disaster, we should do everything possible to, uh, to make it possible for people to return to their homes. It says here, we will amend the Stafford Act to ensure that the Federal Emergency Management Agency is empowered to address this problem specifically to ensure that recovery and rebuilding efforts make affected communities stronger than they were before the disaster so that they are more resilient to the next disaster. Next item under uh, uh, resilience and justice is we will increase investments in the hazard mitigation grant program. That's the hazard mitigation grant program. The FEMA Hazard Mitigation Grant Program funds projects that help mitigate disasters from future disasters. The program saves $4 for every $1 invested up front by decreasing the impact of future disasters. We will invest $2 billion to ensure communities that are rebuilt after disaster strike have necessary resources to build back stronger than before the disaster. So imagine that if a government was actually set up, it says here the program, the FEMA Hazard Mitigation Grant Program, saves $4 for every $1 invested. In other words, like there's an old saying, a stitch in time saves nine. So one stitch now uh, saves you from having to make nine stitches later on. Uh, sometimes upfront investment saves money, and according to Bernie, according to Bernie's Green New Deal, the FEMA Hazard Mitigation Grant Program saves $4 for every $1 invested upfront by decreasing the impact of future disasters. So uh, if that math works out, uh, he says we will invest $2 billion to ensure communities that are rebuilt after the disaster strike have necessary resources to build back stronger than before the disaster. So that $2 billion presumably will save $8 billion because every $4 saves $1. Now, the next section here is conserving our public lands. We're going to get into that next time. I have a couple of minutes left, so let me leave you with some thoughts. So one of the things that I say at the top of the program is that uh, we need to rethink everything. We need to question everything we've ever been taught about American politics, American economics, and American culture. One of the main myths that we've been taught is that government is incompetent and really it's business that is our savior. The free market system, the free enterprise system, business is our savior. Well, if we believe that, who wins? If we believe that, then, uh, the, you know, I've, I've, I've spoken to middle class people who actually believe that tax cuts to the rich are good for the economy. Nothing could be further from the truth. And you talk to middle-class people who consider themselves libertarians, and they really think that government is the problem. Well, when, when we think government is the problem, who benefits? Well, it's businesses, especially big business, that can just do what it wants and make lots and lots and lots and lots of money at our expense uh, for example, I mean, if it is true, cause, so Raj Patel says uh, in, in his book, Stuffed and Starved, he cites some research that says 
that a five when McDonald's sells a five dollar hamburger, the true cost of that hamburger is two hundred dollars. If if that's true, then every time McDonald's sells a five dollar hamburger without paying us two hundred dollars, then they're pick they're they're depriving us of two hundred dollars. For example. Uh, McDonald's is, is at least partly responsible for the fires that are currently burning in the Amazon. How do you calculate you know, the Amazon are the lungs of the world? When the Amazon burns, uh, that depletes the ability of the forests of the world to absorb the carbon that they need to absorb. It, it also, it's just a priceless, it's loss of a priceless asset. And yet those fires are directly caused by people burning forests to make way for cattle ranches. That's the kind of rapacious practice irresponsible practice, stupid practice that thrives when you and I believe that there is any such thing as a free market. But that's a whole other conversation. Any comments, questions, or feedback, please email info at theclimatereport.net. Have a great day.